back with you today. And if you're new around church, one of the things you should learn is that when pastor goes on vacation and gets back, you should pack a lunch for service. Uh, a little bit too much passion wells up over a little bit too much time, uh, but I'm going to try to stay right where I am. And they started my timer for me as I started saying that. So they're like, okay, we better make sure we get this thing right. Uh, today, it, we're not jumping into a new series yet because as I was resting, there were some things that God put on my heart that, that I just wanted I wanted to share, and today we're really going to just talk a little bit about aim, the word aim. And when we hear that, we, we usually think about things like, like, like archery or, or targets. One of the things that I think about when I think about aim gets to, to one of my ridiculously many hobbies uh, of getting the telescope out with the kids. And I think I've shared about some of my experiences with them because if you've ever messed with a telescope and had little children around you, you know that is just a design to get frustrated. Because when it comes to having a telescope and trying to just even look at the moon, when you set it up, you have to aim it just right and get it in view because the moon is so far away that if your aim just gets adjusted by the tiniest measure, the target that you're, you're aiming at that, that is thousands of miles away, you'll miss it by thousands of miles. And in fact, the, the thing that you aim at, the further away it is, the more precise your aim has to be to keep you moving in that direction, to have it in vision, to have it where you want it to be. And especially, the moon is one of our favorite things to look at because it's just one of the things that you can, you can see the best out of, the, you know, we can look at planets, but they just look like these tiny little dots with our telescope at least. But when you see the moon, we can see this big, beautiful picture, but it's difficult to look at because just even us, the earth is rotating a thousand miles per hour as we're trying to look at it. We're moving 67,000 miles per hour through space, and the moon is moving 2,228 miles around, per hour around us. And so all these things are moving, and I'm trying to keep my kids from bumping it. So even if we have it set, even if we don't have it, even if it doesn't get bumped and it stays, the moon is actually moving while you're trying to look at it. So you can look at it for seven or eight minutes, and then you have to readjust and find it again, because this target of what we're trying to see is moving. And so why go through all the trouble uh, of setting up a telescope, of trying to see this moving target. Well, one of, one of the reasons is, look at this picture of the moon. I don't know if you've ever seen the moon like that. That's, that's, that's what it looks like when you look at it through a telescope, except you're even a little bit better. You can see the curvature. You can see where craters are. And there's just something that's incredible about with your eye looking into a telescope, seeing something that's not a photograph, not a picture, not anything that you have to worry about being edited in any way. You, through lenses, looking and seeing that live, it's this incredible picture. So it's worth the frustration, it's worth, worth the hassle, it's worth the work, because we get to see something that other people don't see when they look up and see the moon right now. We, as a church, we have a vision for what we want to be. And I'll tell you, the vision for what we want to do and become in this city, it's not something that's close by because it would be way too short-sighted or unrealistic to think that the vision for what we want to do in this area and in this region in the world would be accomplished in a short span of time. It's a distance off, and I get that, and I'm always looking for the practical next steps. How do we get there? What is the thing in front of us that God is calling us towards as a church right now to continue to move and keep our eyes set towards the vision that is far away because we don't want to miss it? 
Moving by an inch right now will put us miles off later. And so we have to continue to stay focused as people and as a congregation on the things that God is calling us towards. Today, we're, we're going to be opening up to the book of Psalms, chapter 127. If you have your Bible with you, you can open up and read along. We'll, of course, project the words on the screen. But as we get into this topic uh, of aim, of vision, of where we're going, of how we're going to do it, this, this passage is incredibly practical. And this passage actually comes, it's attributed largely to Solomon. But as theologians love to do, they actually argue back and forth of if it was actually David or Solomon. And just so you know, King David is the father to King Solomon. King Solomon is renowned in the Bible as being the most incredibly intelligent man and leader who ever lived. He, he amassed the greatest amount of wealth. He's the one who actually built the temple. David, his father, was known as this passionate lover of God, a man after God's own heart. And David desired to see the temple of God built, but it wasn't gonna happen for David. It was gonna happen for Solomon. Solomon would be the one who picked up that passion of his father and built the temple. And so this is attributed to Solomon largely, but man, I think you can also hear the heart of David in what is written. And starting at verse one, we're gonna read verse one through verse three first, and, and we'll project this on the screen behind me. It says, unless the Lord builds a house, The work of the builders is wasted. Unless the Lord protects a city, guarding it with sentries will do no good. It is useless for you to work so hard from early morning until late at night, anxiously working for food to eat. For God gives rest to his loved ones. What an encouraging word. That's like, may as well not work. I mean, is that the the message from the passage? No, that's not the message. This is not bashing hard work. In fact, I love grit. I I love driving after the goal, getting up early, get after it. I believe that's honoring to God. And this isn't disparaging the concept of getting out there and working hard. But this is talking about building something. And when it says when the Lord builds a house, that can be applied to the temple. That can be applied to just a house. That can also be applied to just a family that you're building, as you'll see in the verses that follow here in just a moment. But it talks about this concept that unless the Lord builds a house, The work of the builders is wasted. And what the passage is trying to draw out is that you can pour your energy, your sweat, your anxiety, your thoughts, your your every waking moment into something. But if God isn't in it, you're wasting all of your time in it. If this isn't something that God has called you towards, then everything that you're doing is going to be moving in vain. If you're running from the calling that God has placed on you, all of this energy expended in whatever you think is going to take place of God's calling on your life, you're wasting your time. And and we hear that and we say, okay, well, obviously, well, let, let me get to it this way. If we're living our life, if we're doing our job in a way that we know God does not want me to do it this way, I mean, I know God says that I, I shouldn't be unequally yoked to someone who doesn't have the same faith as me, but if, if I have enough time, I'll just fix him. I'll get his life together for him. I'll make him into the husband that he's supposed to be. I mean, this is a story that we hear all too often, but when we're investing ourselves in that way, that's not what God has called us to do. When we begin to make plans to live our life in a way that's dramatically different than what Scripture has instructed us, we are working and striving in vain. If we believe that we're going to amass wealth and financial peace and prosperity by living outside of God's design for our finances, 
you are moving in vain. If we think we're going to excel in our career by disparaging someone else, when we're called to lift others up and serve them, your work is going to be in vain. In this passage, it's not saying not to work hard. It's not talking about, you know, that, that all the work, the century's work will be useless. It's useless for you to work hard from early morning and early night. And that's if God is not in it. If God is not in it. And we invest so many years of our life in things that we know. Man, God was never in that and I knew it from the beginning. But there comes a crucial point where we say, okay, I have to focus on the things that God is actually wanting me to do. And when you get a hold of that, I tell you, that's when you really experience the peace. That's when you really experience the joy. That's when you really experience, this is how I was supposed to be living. That's when you really experience, man, God is right here and he's directing me because I know he's placed me in the situation. So, I mean, the, the first thing that I want to communicate to you guys, and it's such a simple thought that, it, I mean, it, it's almost insulting, but it's just, if God isn't in it, stay out of it. If God isn't in it, stay out of it. You're going to strive and you're going to work and you're going you're gonna to convince God that, you know, I'm just deviating from your plan for a little while, but you're, God, you're going to see how great of an idea it was to go outside of your plan. You're going to see how great of an idea it was to live outside of your will for a little bit because it's really going to shortcut my life to prosperity. And I know that once I have financial wealth or once I have this person, then I'll really be happy. But I want to break it to you that, that no amount of finances, no, no person exterior to yourself is going to be able to hold up the joy and the love and the happiness in your life. You were designed to only be fulfilled by one person, and that is God himself. There, there is a hole in your heart that cries out to him, and every celebrity who's ever reached to the top ha says something to this effect that I wish, I wish everyone could experience this so that they would know it doesn't make them happy. So just shortcut all of those mistakes, shortcut all of that working and striving and chasing after things that don't really matter and get after the point of saying, God, what is it that you have said I need to do in my life? What is it that you have said that in this age, in this place that I'm at, how am I supposed to live? As we get to Monday, how is my day supposed to start off? As I get into my work hour, how am I supposed to interact with these people? Because the fact is, God is still speaking today. God is still seeking to work through his people today. God is seeking to make a difference in this city, and it's going to happen through the lives of his church. And, and I, I believe church services are encouraging and beneficial, and they're supposed to prepare the church for acts of good service. But the way that the Spirit of God really moves through the city is actually on Monday through Saturday. So Sunday reminds us, Sunday refocuses us. Sunday brings us together to encourage each other, but the mission, it happens out there. And that's what we've got to seek to be living towards. We've been striving, we've been chasing, we've been working for, for things that aren't going to fulfill us, things that aren't going to bring us to the point we really want to be. And I want to encourage you that you can trust God to take that step and put those things to the side and chase after his will because God actually wants better things for you than you want for yourself. You have a good heavenly father who isn't trying to lead you into despair. Will he, will he walk you through a tough time? Will he walk you through the valley of the shadow of death? Absolutely, but why? Because he's going to bring you through to something better on the other side. 
You have a good heavenly father. Luke 11, 11 talks about it this way. Jesus is teaching and he's talking about how, how God gives his spirit and God is gonna give us what we need. And he says, who among you fathers that when your son asks for a loaf of bread, you'll give him a stone? Or, or if he asks for an egg, you'll give him a scorpion? I mean, even you who are sinful know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more so does your father in heaven give his spirit and pour out his spirit when, when you ask? I mean, giving a child a scorpion instead of an egg sounds like something that is on YouTube and led to a visit from the Department of Family and Child Services. It's not a good idea. It doesn't make sense. We even know better than that. But God is not just an inflation of your earthly father. He is the perfection of what a father is supposed to be. And so when he says, I have a plan for you, I have work for you to do, I have something that I need you to move out of your life. He's not doing it because he wants to lead you to difficulty. He's doing it because he wants to lead you towards something greater. And so when we see that God's not in something, we need, we need to move out of it because we want to move into what he has for us. Going into verse 3, there's this, there's this shift that happens. It starts off talking about, unless the Lord builds a house, the work of the builders is wasted. Unless the Lord protects the city, guarding it with centuries will do no good. It, it is useless for you to work so hard from early morning until late at night, anxiously working for food to eat, for God gives rest to his loved ones. God takes care of his loved ones. And this is, once again, not disparaging hard work, but it's saying, what is God doing? Where is he at? How, how is he asking us to do it? Because he's going he's gonna to provide for us the things that we need. And then it makes this shift in verse 3 in the psalm. And it says, children are a gift from the Lord. They are a reward from him. Children born to a young man are like arrows in a warrior's hands. How joyful is the man whose quiver is full of them. He will not be put to shame when he confronts his accuser at the city gate. You know, when, when it says that children are a gift from, children are a blessing, aren't they? Yeah, you have to say that. If you've had children, you're like, man, they're, they're a blessing when they're asleep and they're quiet. I mean, I remember, I remember what it was like before I had kids. Like, I, I've lost my mind some from my four children, but not completely. Like, I remember when we were like, hey, you want to go see a movie? Yeah, let's go see a movie. And so what did we do? We got up out of the house and we went and saw a movie. Now it's like, hey, you want to go see a movie? Sure, maybe in two weeks we can do that and we'll have to pay a babysitter $10 an hour since we have four children. It's going to be six hours, so it's going to be $60, which is more than we would have spent on dinner and a movie before. And so now, now we have to save up to be able to do this. And then we can only be gone for like four hours because the babysitter can't get all of our kids to, to bed on their own. And so we have to be back to get that. And, and, and things have changed. I mean, I remember the first time when I was getting in the car from the hospital and we're bringing Ella home from the hospital, and all my life I just got in the car and buckled my seatbelt. Now I have to install a baby seat, which should be simple, but it's not simple. You have to climb on top of the thing with both feet and pull with both hands to get it tight because if you don't, the nurse will mock you and then do it herself, which is insulting when you're a man and she's like a tiny five foot five woman and she does a better job than you. Children make things difficult. They change your love life. You can't just turn on music and light candles anymore. The only person running naked through your house is that tiny two-year-old terrorist. It changes everything. But, but they're a blessing, right? They're a blessing. You, they have to be a blessing because you have to say that because you're in church and the pastor's asking. Of course they're a blessing. I, I, don't get me wrong. They, they are a blessing. When? <laughs> At times, and you'll see it. And, and I know you have. And I know you have because you were bragging on your son just the last time I was talking to you. That's right, you were. But this is where we get confused. Just because it's a blessing doesn't mean it's not heavy. Burdens and blessings are both heavy. 
Burdens and blessings, they, they, they both take our heart, they both take our energy, and God has blessed us with children. And I, I won't lie to you, man, it's exhausting, it's hard at times. You will shed tears over your children. You will see them succeed and you will rejoice and you will see them fail and you will cry and you will hold their hand through easy and difficult things and it's rough. But that doesn't mean it's not a blessing. I mean, people, you know, to, to, to kind of shift into some of the other areas because this is true with other things too. People are like, oh, you know, you guys planted a church and everything just looks like it's going great. That's such a blessing. I'm like, yeah, it's all rainbows and cupcakes, let me tell you. I mean, I mean, leading your family, like leading a church, like there are times where it's difficult. Just leading your life, even if you don't have a family that yet and you're single, I understand God has blessed you with so many times, but that doesn't mean there's not moments of loneliness. That doesn't mean there's not moments of pain. And sometimes we begin to look and we say, the things that are surrounding my, me right now, they're so heavy, and we begin to take things that are blessings and we categorize them as burdens. Because we've got this idea that anything that's a blessing from God is just going to be easy and it's going to come easy. But what we see throughout scripture, the greatest blessings came through the greatest difficulties. When we look at the blessing of Jesus Christ and the life that he lived, the fact that he gave his life for us, there is no greater difficulty that has been walked through. And we see proof after proof that the things that God calls us towards are not just easy. They are blessings, absolutely, but they are not easy. They will take sweat. They will take our heart. They will take our work. It will mean early mornings and late nights at times. It will mean pouring out our, our heart, our, our finances, our, our life into these children, into the city, and that's how we're called to live. Our aim for the way that we live our life shouldn't be towards the easy stuff. And that's not to say that everything's going to be hard all the time. But it's easy to go through life when, when it's easy. I mean, when, when things are coming along and everything's going the way that it should, and we have people around us and we don't feel lonely, and things are going up and to the right on all of the charts that determine how our life is going, that's the easy part. And so I don't have to help you too much there. You're doing fine. But if you're in the place where everything feels so heavy on your shoulders, I want you to stop and look around for a minute and find where those blessings are. Because every time you can breathe in and your chest expands and draws in that air and then, and then it goes back out, you're carrying a blessing. Every person that you have a relationship with but there's difficulty in that relationship right now, you still have them and that's a blessing. There are so many blessings that we've allowed to slide into the category of burden in our life that we need to adjust our aim and say, okay, this is what it is. I signed on to, to somehow I got, got into a church that doesn't have a building. I've got to get up early. We've got to put up signs because Paul doesn't think someone can figure out where the bathrooms are. I'll tell you, I understand, I understand the work that comes with going to church here, but it's a blessing because there's people who've come in here and said, I don't think I would have gone to church in a normal building. I got, I got hurt there one time, so I thought I'd try this. And those stories energize us. Next week we get to um, 
baptize a, a young woman in our church. Those stories energize us. We, we get to see single moms who come here and they find a safe place where they can worship and grow in their relationship with God and their kids can be, can ha- be influenced by our children's ministry to grow up loving God and that's a blessing and I don't want us to ever lose sight of why we're doing it. We're doing it because Luke 19.10 describes the heartbeat of Jesus for the Son of Man came to seek and save those who were lost and so we are gonna be a church that moves towards our city. And we're going to recognize that that comes with work. That comes with commitment. That comes with messiness. That comes with heartache. And the way that we do our church, and the way that we live our life, and the way that we raise our children, you know, it says children are a gift from the Lord, and they are. They are a reward from him. Children are born, born to a young man are like arrows in a warrior's hands. How joyful is the man who has a quiver full of them. You know, this illustration, I don't think that it was put in here lightly. I, I think that there was some intent in that uh, of why. And, and there's a couple of different pieces to that, especially, you know, when we get into the, the concept uh, of what an arrow does for a warrior. Uh, an arrow, if we're going to compare them to children, an arrow, it, it's something in this passage that extends the reach of the warrior. And this is true with our kids. This is true with the people who are raised in, in our church who are spiritually mentored and discipled here, that, that they are like arrows for us and they extend our reach. And for me, you know, my, my kids are still young and so I can't talk about the outcomes with them, but I can talk about some of the outcomes after about 14 years in, in youth ministry where I have some people that I still refer to as my kids, though they're biologically not my kids. And, and this might sound strange. I'm gonna be kind of a proud dad here for a minute. And this isn't about me. This is about so, so just th- this concept of, Children of people that we raise up being like arrows for us, extending our, re- our reach. Uh, just this last week, uh, a young man that when he was in middle school, I was a small group leader while I was in college. His name's Andrew. He was sharing about how he was at a denomination's national board, the executives of an entire denomination, and he was preaching to them. I'm like, man, I remember when you couldn't figure out that you needed to wear deodorant. Look how far you've come. One of my, one of my students, Ben Simmons, he, he's serving overseas in missions. Uh, another guy who's a student of mine, Aaron, who you know, walked away from God and then he came back and he's become an awesome father and leader in his church. Wesley Welch, who served here for a little while and is in Indiana, making a huge difference in her college ministry. And I know that this is God's design, not just for me, this is God's design for you. God has placed people around you in your life that when you encourage them, when you help them, when you spiritually invest yourself in them, you're extending your reach the way that arrows extend the reach of a warrior. Places that you couldn't touch with your hands are being affected because you invested in someone else. And this is what happens through our children as well. As we raise kids up, you know, when they're young, they'll do what we say, but when they're older, they'll do what we did. And so I want us to acknowledge the fact that we're, we're setting an aim for our children. We're setting an aim for the people that we're influencing around us by the way that we live. Not, not by what we say, but by the way that we live. 
And so I, I love looking and seeing, you know, I, I, I love when I hear a statement that God put on my heart come out of the mouth of one of my students. I love when I hear something I've said to one of my children. I, I love at least the good things that I've said around my children. When, when they say that to someone else, when they encourage someone else, and I know that's something that I've said to them time and time again. And it's like, I didn't have an opportunity to be, to be part of that conversation, but I was part of that conversation because of that child. They extended my reach. The way the arrows extend the reach of a warrior. The, the, the illustration and, and the whole concept uh, of taking aim, this is actually my bow. And like I said, I have too many hobbies. In 2012, I decided archery is gonna be fun for a while. And so now this has been hanging out. Um, shooting a bow is not an easy thing. It, it takes time, it takes practice. There's a certain way that, that, that you're supposed to stand. There's a certain way that your arm is supposed to be set and not completely out, but just set, that you're supposed to be eye level, that, that when you pull the string back, that you know, if you cheat like I do, there's a peephole here that lines up with a sight. The real guys don't need any sights, but I'm not that guy. And then there's a process of drawing it back. And there's work in drawing it back and preparing the shot. It takes muscle, it takes practice, and then the last piece of it is letting it go without flinching. There's a natural thing that, that when you're learning, you, you'll, you'll tilt your bow down or up when you're letting go because you know that string is going to go and it's going to make a sound and it, and it can scare you. It's not much of a recoil, but it's there and it scares people. And you have to learn how to let go without flinching. Sounds a lot like raising kids to me, just even rele releasing an arrow. That there's this process of learning that we, we have to go through, that there, that there that it takes practice, that I'm gonna make this thing fall on the floor and distract you guys. Um, this concept of archery and, and children being like quivers, each person that God gives us that we get to invest in, they're extending your reach. But I'm gonna tell you, the aim that they take, what they do when they go there, it's gonna be determined by the way that you live. So what is your life aimed at right now? All those pieces of, of aiming an arrow, they're all intentional. And whether you realize it or not, your life has been aimed at something. What is your life aimed at right now? Is it just you and your career? Just you getting yours? Just you having fun and doing whatever feels good in the moment? What is your life aimed at? This isn't a guilt statement, but this is a reality statement. What is your life going to be about? Because you can strive and toil in vain. You can work really hard from morning to sundown, and you can miss God's purpose. But God has something for you. And, and th this quote has, has stuck in my heart for a long time. Aim at heaven, and you will get heaven and earth. Aim at earth, and you will get neither. You know, this, this truth exists, that we're called to fix our eyes on Jesus. This truth exists, that when you seek first the kingdom of God, everything else that you need will be added. When we put God in the right place in our life, all these other things that we've been striving for, working for from sun up to sundown, all those other things that we need, they get added back. The last part of that passage in verse five, it says, how joyful is the man whose quiver is full of them, of children, 
He will not be put to shame when he confronts his accusers at the city gates. The fact is that it's painting this illustration that when a, a parent of multiple children has a conflict at the city gate, they don't have to be afraid because they've got a whole crew ready to stand and fight their fight alongside them. Like I said, we're, we're called to something in this city. We, we, we have a fight to fight in this city. We have a mission that has to be accomplished. We have a vision that we have to move towards. We have a purpose that we have to chase. And the more people that we reach, the more people that you influence, the more people that we have to fight this fight. And one of the beautiful things about this is, as you influence people, some of them will land at Gulfside, some of them will land at other churches, and either way, that's amazing because the fight isn't just to make Gulfside Church great. The fight is to make a difference for the name of Christ in this city. The, the fight is to see hearts that are broken healed. The fight is to see marriages that are breaking apart brought back together because of what God has done in their life. The fight is to see the lives of the children in this high school changed. Band, if you guys will come on out, I'm going to begin to wrap this up. The Department of Health in the U.S., they did a study on the kids of this culture that we're in right now, and there was a couple trends that emerged, and I wanted to share them with you. And it's this interesting thing that 90% of all homeless and runaway children come from single-parent households. 85% of behavior disorders that we see in the schools, they come from single-parent households. 70% of high school dropouts come from single-parent households. 63% of youth suicides come from single-parent households. Your, your pastor comes from a single-parent household. So I'm not, I'm not ashamed because of the problems that we have in our city. I am not ashamed to say we are a church who is just intentional about showing a little extra grace, a little extra love towards those who are trying to raise kids on their own. And the fact is, as I've stood in the school, it's becoming more and more rare for teenagers to say, yes, both of my biological parents live in my house. There, there is a problem in our city, there is a problem in our nation, and it's, it's manifesting in the lives of teenagers in a big way. And part of it is we've decided we're gonna do life and marriage our own way. And we're not gonna be worried about how God says I should treat my spouse. We're gonna do it our own way, and it's leading to divorces, which is leading to suffering among teenagers. And, and, it, and, it, and it pulls at my heart because I was that kid. Those were my friends. That was my experience. And I'm not content to just sit by and have a club that really enjoys each other's company and not, not continually be praying for, not continually be worried about the kids who are growing up in households that haven't taught them about the love that God has for them. This is an area that we have to go after as a church. And so we've been talking about it for a while that one of our next moves as a church is that we're going to hire another full-time pastor that can focus completely on the youth. And I'm excited to announce to you that, that we have found the guy. We have him. Now, now this, this, this is going to mean a lot of different things that I want to tell you about. The first is, uh, I talked to lots and lots of very qualified candidates. But within the first, before I even got to talk to him, I met, I met him at Starbucks the first time. 
he didn't really see me in there. He saw some people he knew and he just plopped into their conversation and started talking and encouraging them. And I was like, oh, this is, this is so the guy. <laughs> I know it. And, I, and I, I said, you know, give me some of the vision for your life. He's like, I want to see Southwest Florida transformed by the gospel. I think that eventually one day I might want to plant a church. And I'm like, all right, you're speaking my language here. Um, I want to show you a picture of him real quick. If we can bring the picture up. Um, his name is Drew Lang. He, he comes from First Assembly in Fort Myers, so his family and support system is still close by, which is going to be great for him. It also gives us a really strong partnership with another great local church because they have great relationships and they're so proud of him to take this step to come be part of our team. And you'll see his caption on there, I refuse to be silent while people die every day without knowing Jesus. This is his heartbeat, which lines up with our heartbeat. And so I need you to pray I need you to support. If you have teenagers in your household, I need you to help get them connected because when he gets, he's going to start in the beginning of August with us. He's going to want to connect with your kids. Help him connect with them. When he makes the call, you give that kid the kick out the door that you're going you're gonna to go meet this dude. Because I believe God's going to do tremendous things in the lives of our students as well as students that we don't know the name of yet. But God's going to reach because you guys gave, because you guys prayed, because you guys invested so that we could take this next step. It's also going to mean some other responsibilities come off of my shoulders onto him, which means we can move some of the men's ministry forward and I can invest more into that. And generally, the life of the church is going to get healthier because of adding this staff member. So I'm, I'm excited about so many parts of it, but the thing that I want you to pray about the most, the thing that I want you to know the most, is we're going to begin to have a reach in this high school and in the other schools in the city in a way we haven't before the gospel is going to interrupt some people's lives. They weren't expecting it. But God's going to begin to do tremendous things. So I'm so thankful that you guys are saying yes to this vision. It's not just for the youth, not just for the high school, not just for someone else, not just for the pastor, not just for the church, for your household. So this is the, the, the thing that I want from you. Will you be real with yourself and ask the question, what is my life aimed at? Because whatever your life is aimed at, you're aiming the people around you, you're aiming your children at that as well. Let's fix our aim on Christ and his kingdom. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you so much for what you've done in the church so far, but we believe and we know and we are confident that the best is yet to come. We thank you that you've given aim to our life, that you haven't just told us to work hard and hope, but that you direct us, that your spirit speaks to us and is encouraging us, is helping us, is counseling us as we seek after you. And so, Father, we, we declare and we make the statement that we will set our aim as individuals, as families, and as a church, that we will seek your kingdom first. We will be a people who seeks after our city to introduce them to this amazing love that only comes through Jesus Christ. We believe and we trust that you will do great things as we walk in obedience in Jesus' name.